Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for morning worship. Thank you for Sundays, God. For the child of God, Sundays have such a special place. A day that is chiseled, set in stone, continually every seven days on our calendar. I can't miss it. We want to be together. We want to worship you. We want to hear what your word says to us yet again. We want to see other people that believe the same. We want to hear people sing. We want to know how our church is advancing the kingdom of God. We want to see about lives being changed. We want to see that people are repenting of their sins. That people are learning to forgive one another because they've been forgiven by you. Father, we thank you for Sundays. We ask that today, Lord, you would give us understanding and increase our faith. That we would be stronger for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would, please turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 10. Exodus chapter 10. Exodus is the second book in the Bible. So if you pick up one of those Black Pew Bibles, the first book is Genesis. Uh, go to the next book, Exodus, and you'll find chapter 10. As a little side note real quick, uh, a couple of you have been asking. Uh, in your bulletin today, right underneath the sermon part, there is that little rhyme that I have given to you all to memorize the ten plagues. Miss Ramey, do you see it? Okay. Um, <clears throat> this week she said, could you put it in a bullet? And I said, yeah, I'll do that. And she said, well, you said you were going to do that. So, uh, Blood, then frogs, gnats, then flies. Then comes number five, the livestock dies. Boils, hell, locusts, darkness to the eyes. Then comes number ten, the firstborn dies. And it's important for us to to, to not... Uh, no little rhymes or jingles, but it's important for us to know that God sent ten plagues on people uh, not to punish them, but to help them see that He is God. Please hear me. What it means to be a Christian, and there is only one type of Christian, that is the one that is 100% Christian. That is the one that is all in, if you will. All in is a new, new catchphrase, uh, a new hashtag that's pretty popular these days for your company or your team or any movement. You gotta be all in. And Christianity is all about being all in. But the problem with us using phrases like that is that you think that means I've gotta give my everything. And certainly, if you're a Christian, you've gotta give your everything. But it totally misses the point. Of what it means to be a Christian. And Exodus with the plagues is teaching us this. Listen folks. Before you ever give any or your all. You have to first know. I have nothing to give. You have to first know. I can't give anymore. You have to first know. Giving my all still is not enough. And you must humble yourselves before the mighty hand of God that He will lift you up. And if all you do is be all in, I'm afraid that that you've never been all down and humbled yourselves before God. 
you and I both know that there are a lot of people out there in the world who will swear to you that they're Christians and they're miserable. Life's not working out. All they know is, is, is hardship and complaining and frustration. They've given up on church. They don't think church is even good for them. But yes, they're Christians. And they ask questions like, I, I just keep doing and doing and doing, but it never seems to work out. I could name for you right now 50 families that I work with, that I, that I, I, I talk with them, meet with them, and, and that is the way their lives are. And, and so I want us to hear today that, that we feel with that struggle. My life, your lives are full of the struggle of hardship. Life is hard. But we are not Christians until we have come to God and said, Father, you are great and I need you. Until we have realized that he is God and we are not and that we need him, there is no real saving. There is no real redemption. There is no real relationship with God. The plagues are all about this, this idea. You have a man who's living his life and he's doing well, he sins, but who doesn't? We all do. He's not perfect. He's Pharaoh. He leads a, he leads a, a nation of, of Egypt. And God is telling him, I want you to know me. And he's understanding God a little bit more and more. He prays. He, he asks for forgiveness. You know, he's not Christian by any means, but he, he has an understanding of God. And God is nowhere near saying, you're, you're my child. God is saying to him, when are you finally going to know I'm God and you're not? When are you going to turn from trusting in yourself when are you going to turn from that pride that makes you think that you're, you're good or that you're fine or that you're great or that you deserve praise or attention? How long until you will humble yourself before me and say, God, I can't. God, if you don't lift me up and make me a man and make me a dad and make me a husband, if you don't lift me up and give me the strength to parent my kids, I'm not going to. God, if, if you don't lift me up and give me the ability to turn from all my sinful tendencies and to trust in you, God, I'm not going to. I can't. It's been five years, ten years that I've been in this cycle of not being who I want to be. And I keep thinking I'm trusting in God and nothing's ever happening or changing. And, and God's answer to us is, bow down before me. Humble yourselves before me. And I'm here today to say that's the only way. That is the only type of Christian. I'm also here to say, and as we just sang so beautifully, that the person who will look to God and bow themselves down and say, Father, I've got nothing to bring. Would you have mercy upon me, a, 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 a wayward sinner? That the Bible says that Christ died for you, and that God loves you, and that Jesus at that moment, and only at that moment, will then give you life. He will become to you a great God and Savior, like the Bible speaks of Him. He will be yours. The Bible says that, that God at that moment, and only at that moment, will adopt you into His family. Because at that point, or up until that point, you're not in the family of God. 
If you've never bowed your knee, which is a metaphor for your heart, if you've never bowed down and said, God, God, do something in me, I need you, and, and, and meant that desperate cry from your heart, then you're not a child of God. He is not your Father in heaven. But as soon as you do that, and your heart cries out, Father, forgive me of my sins. Christ died for them. And I know that through Christ you accept me. Then you become a child of God and He becomes your Father. And the Bible says that nothing, no nothing, nothing will separate you from God's committed love towards you. Nothing. But it's only, only until you surrender everything. All to Jesus I surrender. The old song says, all to him I freely give. That's the only type of Christian. And the plagues are about God showing that to Pharaoh. You know, it's kind of a big statement, but we're to the eighth and ninth plague now. We've been in the plagues for a while in Exodus. And before we got into this, I never thought I would say this, but after eight or nine plagues, I think you and I are a lot more like Pharaoh, then we are like Moses, if we're honest. We know what we should do, but we're too hard-headed. I, I dare to say that most everybody in the room right now knows one area of their life that they need to change. But we just won't do it. We're not ready. We're too proud. That's what Pharaoh is. And we read the plagues and we're like, what's wrong with this guy? And then I see myself there. Today I ask you to look at Exodus chapter 10. And ask God in His grace to humble you. And to give you the strength to bow yourself before Him. That He might lift you up. Read with me if you will at Exodus chapter 10. This is the eighth plague. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine among them. So at this point now we see that God is now using Pharaoh. Okay? Now he's not putting Pharaoh in a position that Pharaoh doesn't want to be in. Please do not walk out of here thinking that God is doing that. No, Pharaoh has already shown he wants nothing to do with God. His heart is set against God. He is going to refuse against God. And so now at this point in the great plan of God, God is now using Pharaoh to bring about his great glory. God is about to do something. So he tells Moses to go to Pharaoh. Verse 2 says, And that you may tell... In the hearing of your son and of your grandson, how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. We have seen several times now that here is God's purpose. Okay, I want to remind you again that the purpose of the plagues is not to bring a judgment upon these people, but the great purpose of the plagues is that people would know that God is God, that they would know him as Lord, that they would trust him as Lord, that they would boast in him as Lord. Can I tell you here today with great simplicity that the Bible is easy to understand and that the purpose for your life, the reason why God is doing in your life, what God is doing in your life is that you would know him as a great God. 
That's why he's doing it. And every one of us right now are in the, in the hardship of life. Man, May is a busy month. You came in here tired today. We are worn out. Uh, it, it is a hard time of year just how busy life is. I know that. And the reason why God has us where he has us, on May 18th, 2014, with our families, with our children, with our finances, with our jobs, careers, lives, with that, is that we would know him. Y'all, God is good for us. He is God. He is our creator. And that's what he wants us to know. That's why he's working in our lives. However, he's working. And this is what's happening with Pharaoh. But notice this. Up until now, it's been all about Pharaoh's got to know this. Egypt's got to know this. And in the most beautiful way, especially for Christian people that are all about family as we are, as we ought to be. In verse two, he tells Moses, here's why I'm doing all this. The whole Exodus story, the whole plague accounts is for this reason that Moses would tell his grandson. I don't normally come in here ready to speak to the grandpas. But grandpas, listen up. When's the last time you pulled the little boy up on your lap and said, let me tell you what all God's done in my life. Are your stories all about what you've done? We've got to be grandpas telling stories about how great they are. We've got to be grandsons saying, my grandpa's like the best man ever and I'm a loser. Because I don't have the great life that he has. Right? Yes. A lot of young men walking around Fairdale right now who know they're not ever going to be what their grandpa is. And grandpa's not helping the situation. Grandpa's not saying, God did that. And he'll do it in you, young man. You hold tight. Be here in church with me. Let me love you the way he's loved me. Let me show you what he's done. Grandpas don't talk that way. And, and listen here. The plagues are God doing this crazy story. Can you imagine grandpa having his little five-year-old on his lap and saying, Listen, man, I remember when God brought hell upon that nation. So much hell upon the nation, little, little man. Killed everything. And God didn't want to kill those people. He told them to watch out. The hell's coming. He killed them all because they didn't like God. And that's not going to be you. God's good for you. Don't you run from him. Don't you rebel on him. Don't you act like he's not important. You need to know him, man. He's, he's the only thing that you need. And he will take care of you. He loves you. He's good for you. Don't you leave God. This is crazy. Nobody would have ever thought that the, that the Exodus 10 and the plague stories are for the grandchildren of, of Moses. But it is. And along those lines, can I tell you that this is, this is what the whole Bible's about. And I know it's, it gets awkward, but God, God does that. It gets real awkward too when the house is full of frogs. It gets real awkward too when you roll over in your bed and you squish a bunch of frogs. And Pharaoh goes, my goodness, man, when's he gonna stop? And God says, I'm not stopping until you know me. The Bible's not going to stop on my heart or your heart. As long as you keep coming on a Sunday morning, God's not going to stop. He's not going to let you walk out of here and keep being nothing. He's not going to let you walk out of here and keep thinking, I don't, I don't need to hear the word. I don't need to repent. I don't need to change. I don't need to go to my wife or my ex-wife. I don't need to go to those kids or those grandkids and tell them that I'm sorry. No, no, no. It's their problem. He's not going to let you say that. He's going to keep... Grinding and grinding and grinding. 
Psalm 145, one of my favorite psalms, verse 4 says, One generation shall commend your kingdom to another generation. They shall declare your mighty acts. It's the whole Bible. Does the generation underneath you, and believe me, that is super stressful and pressure when you have four kids. There's nothing, there's, there's, there may be no more pressure in the world than being a preacher that stands up here and says, I, I believe all this stuff. And the Bible telling me that I've got four that need to know it. That's what the Bible says. I don't, I don't need you to turn there, but I do want you to remember Psalm 78. I'll read it out loud to you. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. Hey, listen here, I'm going to tell you a story. I got it from my dad. Well, what story are you going to tell us? Listen, we will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. One father tells the next generation about what his father's told him. Listen, uh, how many times have you heard that the young people these days just, man, they, they messed up? Young people these days are a mess. Man, they can't do nothing. They're lazy. They don't get off them phones. They don't get off them iPads. I mean, that's all they do. They're not good for anything, man. When I was a kid, nah, we were outside all the time. That's all we did was play. We did this. 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 But it's that younger generation. And every one of us have said it. And God's not going to let you say that. God's going to say, how many times do I have to tell you? How many times do I have to tell you? That's That's you. Know what God has done in your life and tell the kids. Tell them. Tell them until they know it. Tell them until they know it. Tell them until they know it. I know I say it a lot, but they know the UK basketball history. Oh, they know all about that. They know about Fairdale High School winning three state championships in the 90s. They know about it. Know all about it. They can tell you all about those players. They don't know what God's done. Hey, and if God's not done anything... No wonder they don't know Him. No wonder they don't love Him. Let's just be real for a second. If God's not done anything in your life, of course your kids don't want to go to church with you. And be real with that? He's done something though. And you pull Him up on your lap every night and say, let me tell you what God did today. Let me tell you what God did today, man. I, I said something that I shouldn't have said. Your dad doesn't always talk right. I was rude to this person. Said a couple words I shouldn't have said. But you know what? That's a sin. Jesus died for those sins. And so right now, son, can you listen to me? I'm going to pray. We pray with me? Father, you, you made me a dad. And I got one goal as a dad to raise this boy to love you. And I've sinned. God, will you forgive me? Forgive me of my sins for talking that way. We teach my son that I'm not perfect and that you can forgive him. Have you ever done that with your kid? You ever done that at all? And, and God is saying to Moses here in Exodus that he's doing all of this with Pharaoh in Egypt so that Moses could tell his children how great God is. Can you imagine? 
Your marriage ever been through some rough stages? And said, son, let me tell you. We had it rough. But God kept us. God kept us. That's what God wants us to do with all that He's doing in our lives. Moses feels the pressure of having children and having grandchildren. I don't know many men in the world, in my observation, that are as good of a dad as Troy Harrison. I don't. Good dad, Troy. And y'all know that Troy's a good dad. Just this morning, Troy said to me, Josh, the most humbling thing is being a parent. And I thought, if you're humbled by your parenting, how do you think I feel? Parenting's hard. But God is saying to us, if we read our Bibles, look at verse 2, that you may tell in the hearing of your son... And of your grandson, how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them. Well, and Moses might say, well, why should I do that, God? Look at the end of verse two. That you may know that I am the Lord. That you may know that I am the Lord. Y'all, that is the goal. That is why God gave you children. That's why you have a grandson. That he may know that God is the Lord. Let's do it. Let's be that. Let's be those type of men and and fathers and grandfathers and mothers and grandmothers that, that are all about telling the children. Notice here that it doesn't say, make them great. I think the Bible says that he will do that. Why don't we just start with telling them? Verse 3. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh. So now they're going to listen. And they said to him, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, how long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? I love this question. I hope you have it underlined in your Bible. If not, underline it. How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Pharaoh, I mean, they've already been eight times, right? This is the eighth plague. So here's what they're saying this time. It's not, hey, you need to let us go. If you don't let us go, then God's going to send a plague. You're going to learn that he's God. That was like the first seven. This time, it's like, go in there and talk to Pharaoh. Here go Moses and Aaron talk to Aaron. Pharaoh, i got to tell you something. How long, man? How long are you going to keep striving against him? He just sent hell to destroy your entire nation. And he didn't touch us. Because we're his. How long, Pharaoh, are you going to stay this way? I want to ask you, do you, do you ever feel that way about somebody else? Have you ever said how long... Are they going to keep being that way? And I want you to hear the words of God toward us. How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? He asked that question to Pharaoh. And, and so if God is saying to humble yourself, then what is the problem there? The problem is a pride. What does a pride look like? Pride is us thinking we don't need to. I don't need to do that. I don't need to. I don't need to pray to God is that much. I don't need to talk to my children about God. I don't need to read my Bible. I don't need to go to church. I don't need to. And it's a pride inside of us. 
And God is saying, how long will you keep that pride there until you humble yourself? So many times I had a, I had a man, I got a family that I work with. And a man came to me this week. They, they don't go to church here. And he comes to me and he says, man, we cannot catch a break. Something's against us, man. I don't, I don't know what we've done, but there is something in the world working against us. In my mind, I said, you, I didn't say it this week. We've said it many times before. I said, I think it's time to surrender to God. I think it's time to just say, I give up, God. I give it all to you. I'm going to turn to Jesus. And for whatever reason, the Bible says it's a sinful heart. People don't want to do that. Pharaoh is crying out, make it stop. Stop, God. And then he doesn't humble himself before God. And this is the issue. Commentator Stewart says, when people do not acknowledge the one true God as their own Lord, however, they are in rebellion against their very nature and eventually must be forcibly taught who is boss. If you're here today and you don't think that God is powerful and big and, 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 and the great God of all creation and all of history, then you're wrong. And the plague accounts want us to know that God can prove that to you. And that one day He will. The Bible says that one day, every knee will bow to God and say, Jesus Christ is Lord. There are a lot of people right now who will not do that. There are a lot of people right now that mock at that, laugh at that, say no way to that with worse language. But God says, no, they will one day. Don't get too overwhelmed by it. Don't get too worked up by it. They will. There's not a person on the planet right now who will not one day sing the songs we just sang. There is not a person living who will not one day say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Now, listen to me. They may be doing it from hell, but they'll know it. They will know it. Nobody's getting out of here. Nobody's winning without God. You don't do that. You weren't made for any reason other than God. And He's the best thing for you. The happiest people on the planet are the people that know God. The safest people on the planet are the people that know God. And even those that think they're safe or think they're happy are about to be devastated. And so He asks to to Pharaoh, how long will you refuse to humble yourself? Before me. And then he says, look at verse 3. Let my people go that they may serve me. There's, there's all he's asking him to do. That's all he's asking him to do. Let them go. Verse 4. For if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your country. So here's the eighth plague. And they shall cover the face of the land so that no one can see the land. And they shall eat what is left to you after the hell. So notice... The seventh plague was this hell that basically wiped out all of the crops. And whatever the hell didn't take care of, the locusts are coming next and they will finish it off. That's what's going to happen. God is saying that it's coming. Locusts are like grasshoppers. Like big grasshoppers. 
Um, and it says that they're coming to cover the entire land and they will eat what is left to you after the hail. And they shall eat every tree of yours that grows in the field and they shall fill your houses. Does everybody see that? Not just in the field, but in the houses in the houses of all your servants and of all the Egyptians, as neither your fathers nor your grandfathers have seen from the day they came on earth to this day. God says that's what's going to happen. The worst case of bug infestation the worst case of locusts everywhere that your fathers and grandfathers have not seen. They're going to finish up everything that the hell didn't get. They're going to be in your houses. Pharaoh, let my people go and it won't happen. Stay hardened. Don't let them go. It's coming. Then he turned and went out from Pharaoh. So Moses and Aaron say it and then they leave. They've delivered a message. So now the ball, if you will, is in Pharaoh's court. Verse 7. Then Pharaoh's servant said to him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go, that they may serve the Lord God. Do you not yet understand that Egypt is ruined? This is an interesting verse because now Pharaoh's people are seeing what Pharaoh's not seeing. Come on, Pharaoh, let them go. Our whole nation is being ruined. These people are ruining our lives. Get them out of here. All you got to do is let them go. Get them out of here. That's what his people are saying to him. In similar way, if you look at chapter 8, verse 19, this is what the magicians said as well, if you remember this. When the magicians could not do what God and Pharaoh and God and Moses had done, here's what the magicians said in chapter 8, verse 19. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. God is doing this to you now, Pharaoh. This is not something that Moses and Aaron are doing. This is not some magic trick. This is not a man being against us and our nation. This is not nation against nation, as we said at the very beginning of Exodus. This is God against Egypt. Because Egypt will not listen to him. And in a similar way, in verse 7, his servants say, how long are you going to let them be a snare to us? Just let them go. Just let them go. Who cares? Let them go and we'll be fine. Do you not understand that Egypt is ruined? But Pharaoh doesn't listen. Let's look at verse 8. So Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh And he said to them, go serve the Lord your God, but which ones are to go? So now he brings Moses and Aaron back. That's the first time he's done that. And he's asking questions now. uh, Who's going? Now, if you've been reading Exodus and you've been here listening, you know that question doesn't fly. The, The command from God is let us all go. Everybody, men, women and children, all of our possessions, all of our livestock, let all of us go. So Pharaoh brings them back in and says, okay, y'all go worship. Who's going? Which which ones of y'all are going? That's not it. And that's what I mean by surrender. Listen, folks. When, When you come halfway to God, or you want to give some of your lives to God, or you want to give some days or some areas or some sinful issues to God, that's not coming to God at all. And Pharaoh is saying, okay, I'll let y'all go. Y'all go worship God. Which ones are going to go? No. Let us all go. Complete surrender, Pharaoh. And you'll see this. Look at verse 9. Moses said, we will go with our young and our old. We will go with our sons and our daughters, with our flocks and herds. We must hold a feast to the Lord. 
But he said to them, the Lord be with you if I ever if ever I let you and your little ones go. Look, you have some evil purpose in mind. Now, let me let me ask you. At this point, it's obvious to all the Egyptian servants. It's obvious to the people of Israel. It's obvious to everybody sitting in this room right now reading this, that there's no evil purpose in mind. We're slaves. We're miserable. You're working us harder than you should. Just let us go. We want freedom. And God is showing you that. And Pharaoh is so hard-hearted. Pharaoh is so hard-hearted that he says, you've got some evil purpose in mind. Why do you want to be let go? Why are you telling me that? There's something evil behind this. And there's not. There's not. And Pharaoh is so against saying, God is God. And I worship Him. He is so set against humbling himself before his creator that he'll come up with calling them evil because it cannot possibly be that he needs to be wrong and surrender himself and ask for forgiveness. Folks, can we be honest with ourselves today and say, and I'm certainly talking about myself, that most of our issues in life come from our hard-headedness? Come from our laziness? Come from our stubbornness and our rebellion? Yeah, most of our issues are because of our own sinfulness. Do you know how many marriages would immediately get better if the man and the woman would both go today and say, I am so sorry. I have not been what God expects me to be. And do you know how many men or women won't do it? Because we're like Pharaoh. You don't want to say you're like Pharaoh in your marriage, but you're like Pharaoh in your marriage. That's the truth. Do you know how many mother-daughter relationships would be fixed if they would come, even one would come, and just say, I need your forgiveness. And for whatever reason, These sinful hearts that you and I have won't do it. We're too prideful. We don't want to think they're up on us. We don't want to think that they think they're better than us. Or they're more right than us. And this is the issue with Pharaoh. He starts calling Moses evil. Because he doesn't want to let them go. One commentator says... Arrogance and pride, not humility and deference, had characterized the Egyptian attitude toward Israel since the time of the king who did not know about Joseph. If you remember in Exodus chapter 1, this book begins saying there arose a new king who did not know Joseph. Joseph was legendary. Greatest guy. How did they not know him? Because they were prideful. Now you've got a Pharaoh who's going to now call all of them evil. Let that not be us. Verse 11. No, go, the men among you, and serve the Lord for what is, for, for that is what you are asking. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence, so he's not going to let them. Let's keep going. Verse 12. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts. So now, here they come. Here comes the plague, the locusts. So that they may come upon the land of Egypt and eat every plant in the land, all that the hail has left. So Moses stretched out his staff over the land of Egypt. And the Lord brought an east wind upon the land all that day and all that night. 
When it was morning, the east wind had brought the locusts. The locusts came up over all the land of Egypt and settled on the whole country of Egypt. Such a dense swarm of locusts as had never been before, nor ever will be again. They covered the face of the whole land, so the land was darkened. And they ate all the plants in the land and, and, and all the fruit of the trees that the hell had left. Not a green thing remained. Neither tree nor plant of the field through all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh hastily called Moses and Aaron. Y'all, why did he call Moses and Aaron? Because he was immediately aware something more powerful than me is going on here. And I think that oftentimes you and I realize I need a bigger help than myself. I need more than what I can give. I need somebody to help me be more all in than I'm all in. I need somebody to be stronger than all this strength. That's what I'm saying. See, Pharaoh is now at least getting closer to humbling himself before God. So he just said, no, I'm not letting all you go. You've got an evil purpose in mind. I'm only going to let the men go. Now get out of here. So they left. Well, so God sends the locusts and he calls them right back. Y'all, your pride will make you look like a fool. Your pride will make you look like a fool. Humble yourselves before God. Say, God, have mercy upon me. God, help me. God, forgive me. Verse 16, he calls them back in. He says, I have sinned against the Lord your God. He's learning. It's taken eight plagues, but he's learning. And against you. Now, therefore, forgive my sin, please, only this once, and plead with the Lord your God only to remove this death from me. I want to stop there for a second. Pharaoh was seeing that the increasing of the plagues was getting harsher. It was leading to death. If there was nothing green, let me remind you, they couldn't run down to Kroger, they couldn't run to Walmart. McDonald's wasn't open yet in the time of Israel and Egypt. They didn't have anywhere to go to get food. The crops was the only place that they got food. And if they were going to eat an animal, the animals only survived from eating the food. And God had just removed that. Death is coming for them. Hey, listen, Pharaoh is aware that death is coming. Now, this is what the New Testament says. The wages of sin is death. Hey, that doesn't mean you're about to die. That means death is coming. One of the things I say at every funeral is that we're a little bit closer to death. Our bodies are wearing out. We had our first softball game Thursday night. I woke up Friday morning with like a pulled back. I didn't even know how that happened. Getting older, not what we used to be. Our hair changes colors. Starts to fall out. We're getting old. We're going to die. Death is coming. Pharaoh's aware of this. Pharaoh is seeing this because God is making it happen against him. Listen, it is not that every sin leads instantly to death, but rather that every sin does move the sinner further down the inevitable path to death. The ultimate punishment for sin in a universe created and sustained by a holy, competent, omnipotent God is the extermination of evildoers. The king of Egypt, in his own limited way and according to the biases 
of his own culture and beliefs. That's Pharaoh was catching a glimpse of this truth. Get out of here. You got some evil purpose. Well, here comes the wages of sin is death. Well, get back in here and forgive me of my sins then. And many a people in our lives have been there. We've realized that on our own life doesn't work out. But what I want you to hear today that salvation, true life, knowing God, is when we surrender everything to Jesus. It's when you and I see that when Christ died on the cross, it was the one work and the only work in the history of the world from the beginning of time to the end of the time when God did something to rescue us. Christ's death on the cross, when He was nailed to the cross, was for our sins. It was to save us. It was to to wash away our sins. And so what you and I do, and what Pharaoh needs to do, is needs to be able to look at God in what He did to Christ and say, it's only through that that I can be saved. That's the answer for my life. That work that Christ did is what makes me right with God. And if anybody will look to Jesus hanging on the cross and dying, risen from the grave, they can know God. The person who stands over here saying, well, yeah, you know, I know God did some things. Jesus died on the cross, but I'm all in. I'm giving it all I got for God. Is never bowing the knee. Is never coming and saying, my sins killed Jesus. My prideful heart or what did that? And this is what is is needing to be learned by us with the wages of sin is death. As we look at Pharaoh, as he's saying, death is coming for me. Verse 18. So he went out from Pharaoh and pleaded with the Lord. And the Lord turned the wind into a very strong west wind, which lifted the locusts and drove them into the Red Sea. Not a single locust was left in all the country of Egypt. So now they're all gone. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. And he did not let the people go. Pharaoh still says no. God is still not done. Now if you ask why, I want to remind you there in verse 2. God is going to have it to where everybody knows about God's saving work. God wants there to be grandsons, granddaughters on the grandpa's laps hearing about the power of God to rescue His people. This is what's happening. He's not finished yet. Let's keep going. Verse 21. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven. So now here at this ninth plague, there's no warning. It's just coming. Stretch out your hand toward heaven that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the people of Israel had light where they lived. Let me stop there for a second. It's hard for us to to realize darkness. Let me paint a little bit of a picture. Today, we hardly have darkness. Our world has become a 24-7 world. Many a times in my life, I have run down here to Walmart at midnight and waited in a one-lane open, 50 people in line, in there for an hour, just to pick up some diapers. I go to Walmart all the time at midnight because it's open. And I just now realize we're out of diapers. 
The darkness is hardly darkness to us anymore. Right? UPS exists off of thousands and thousands and thousands of college students who live their lives at nighttime working right down the road. But it hasn't always been that way, right? People used to go to bed at dark and wake up at light. And there used to be a time when you didn't have a flashlight. And there used to be a time when there weren't street lights. There used to be a time when it got dark. It was really dark. And if there were clouds and the moon wasn't out, you literally couldn't see. I mean, you might walk around with a candle, but let me remind you, the candle doesn't project. God made it so dark there that they couldn't see. And it was so dark there for three days that they knew it was from God. And it was so dark there, notice that it says nobody left, which lets them know. Which lets us know that it was so dark they couldn't see. Folks, this is the climax. Or one step before the climax. The tenth plague will be the worst. It is time to humble themselves before God. It is time to realize God's not playing with us. It is time to realize I'm not greater than God. Darkness is serious. Listen to what this commentator says. Even so, were we in our day to have three days without light, widespread panic would ensue. Everyone would realize that the natural order had been overturned and that a basic fact of life on the planet had been removed. Long before the three days were up, people would begin to understand the consequences. If this keeps up, there will be no food because plants need sunlight to live. All animals will die because the food chain requires plants. We will die because everything we live in, live on will be gone. Deep, total darkness of the sort God imposed on the Egyptians would also cause sensory deprivation, leading to disorientation and psychological distress. More than just those people inclined to light deprivation, depression would be severely depressed by the third day. A sense of doom would pervade all minds. And it would. No light? Can it get any worse? But then, look back in your Bibles now. Verse 24. Then Pharaoh called Moses and said, Go, serve the Lord. Your little ones also may go with you. That's what they asked for. That's what they asked for. Only let your flocks and your herds remain behind. That's not what they said. But Moses said, You must also let us have sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock also must go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind. For we must take of them to serve the Lord our God. And we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. And he would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, get away from me. Take care never to see my face again. For on the day you see my face, you shall die. Listen. God's tightening it up. The tension's growing. And instead of humbling himself, he gets worse. He gets worse at God's man. I want to be real sensitive here. But how many people you know who seem to be getting more frustrated with God and the church? How many people you know now 
who will say, I hate church. I don't like church. I don't like church people. I don't like Christians. Oftentimes, now granted, I know that many of Christian people, many of us, have been very hypocritical and wrongly put people in that position. I understand that. But I think what we also see in the world is people having an issue with God. And instead of taking it out on God like Pharaoh won't do, takes it out on somebody else. Y'all, the real issue that I have and that you have and that our whole world has is with God. And the only hope is Jesus. And until somebody surrenders everything and says, God, forgive me of my sins, then we do not know God. God remains against us. Romans 8, those who are in the flesh are hostile with God. The ninth plague ends with Moses saying, As you say, I will not see your face again. Now, at that point, Pharaoh thinks, it's because I'm going to win this. And Moses knows, it's because you're going to lose this. Folks, people that don't know God think, I'm going to win this. You and I have to believe in our hearts that if they don't come to know God, they're going to lose this. You can't go against God. You cannot go against God. There is no worse position and no worse decision in the world for you to not have God. How long will you refuse to humble yourself before God? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the book of Exodus. And God, thank you that God is very clear to us. That we are to be people who come to him for mercy. God, thank you that you have shown us and explained to us that you sent God, you sent your son, you sent yourself, you sent Jesus to make us right with you. there's, There's never an instance in scripture, God, where you're too harsh to people without love and mercy. One might read the plagues and say, why is God so patient with them? And yet, Father, I'm thankful you are. That you're patient with us. That you're patient with me. Father, by your grace today, would you bring us to Jesus? And for all of the examples I gave today, God, like a grandfather or a marriage Would you give us the strength to humble ourselves? We need you, God. Apart from you, we can do nothing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.